We're going to continue our sermon series today on Level Up, and we've covered uh, some wonderful ways in which God wants us to grow in our faith and take it to the next level. Uh, Jesus said there are two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what it means to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself, and the Bible talks about it in the context of mutual affection. Next week, Trevor will talk about how we love God more and, and how God loves us. But I'm going to talk about taking it to another level in regards to mutual affection. A few weeks ago, Lynn and I were watching uh, a documentary on the uh, rock band Foreigner and band out of the 80s, and uh, we kind of liked some of their music back in the day. And we listened to Mick Jones tell the backstory of a particular song that he had written. It was a song that uh, really moved him deeply. And in fact, he said he believed the, the song came from a higher power. When he got ready to record the song, he invited the New Jersey Mass Gospel Choir, an African-American choir, to come and, and sing on the recording. See, so all gathered in the studio and they were rehearsing and it just wasn't clicking. You know, there's a lot of confusion and things weren't right. So the director of the uh, New Jersey Mass Choir, young man came down and says, hey, I know what we need to do. We need to all gather here in the studio and hold hands and, and, and say the Lord's Prayer together. And so the, the choir and the band and the engineers and everybody gathered hands and held hands and prayed the Lord's Prayer. And Mick Jones says that was the most profound spiritual, emotional experience he'd ever experienced at that point in his life. And the song that they recorded went on to become their only number one hit song. And see if you recognize it and, and see if the words mean a little different to you this morning because of that story. a little time a little time to think things over I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older Stop. 
was pretty good. I was going to do that for you, but I thought Grace would do it a little better. But I want you to know that was my idea. It wasn't her idea. So she, uh, she, uh, she was a little nervous at first. But, uh, but don't we all want to know what love is? And we've all been through those places of struggle, and we're just trying to figure it out. And um, we're here today because we serve a God who loves us. And not only loves us, but he wants to teach us how to love each other. Would you stand as I read uh, the scripture reading from uh, the theme for this sermon series from 2 Peter? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, we want to know what love is. We want to know how much you love us and that you equip us to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So teach us today and may your Holy Spirit Move among us and bind us together in love with you and love with each other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. In the Greek language, there are four words for love or four types of love. I'm gonna go over those with you. Uh, the first is eros, which means exotic or sensual love. And that's not found in the Bible, so we're not gonna spend much time on that. The second one is storge, which means family love. It, it describes the love between a husband and wife uh, or between a parent and a child. And then there's filial love, which means brotherly love. It's the root word from Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love based on the Greek word philia. And then there is the fourth kind, agape, which is godly love, the love of God. And Trevor will spend more time on that next week. Now to try to answer the question, do you know what love is? I believe that the best description of love that we will ever see was captured in what God did for us through Jesus Christ. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life the love of God for all of us. The love of God that never gives up. The love of God that is for everyone and for anyone. The love of God that is unconditional. That God loves you right now exactly where you are. God loves you no matter who you are. No matter what you've done, God loves you. And God has offered you the gift of salvation. Now how this word how this love manifests itself is found in John 1, 4. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So I wanna give you a formula this morning of what love looks like. It's a pretty simple formula. Grace plus truth equals love. You wanna know what love is? You combine grace, you combine truth, and you'll find love. 
Jesus declared that he was the truth in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, in today's world, that seems like a pretty absolute statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. It's a statement of love because it is God's plan of salvation. When I, when I think of the word truth, I'm talking about absolute truth. Absolute truth that is grounded and founded in the word of God. I believe that truth is in God's word and God's word never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's why we call it the word of God for the people of God. And Jesus said he came to fulfill the scriptures. If you remember on Easter morning, I preached in here and I talked about following the resurrection that Jesus took the word, the scriptures, and opened them up from the teachings of Moses all the way through the prophets, revealing how he was present in God's word. In fact, John 14, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, and then the word became flesh, who is Jesus. So we believe in absolute truth. Now, before many of us became followers of Jesus, believers and Christians, someone spoke truth into our lives. Someone spoke truth to us. Someone told us the truth about ourselves or they told us about the truth of God's love. And hopefully they did it for you in grace because Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And when we talk about mutual affection, it is that, it is that process of once we become a believer or a follower of Jesus that we are to work together and to help each other. And for me, mutual affection involves both instruction and encouragement. We need to be instructed in how we are to grow and take it to the next level. But we also, it also needs to be done with the spirit of encouragement because not, we're not all at the same place, right? We're all at different places in our, in our, in our walk. We're at all different levels in our, in our development as Christians. At Mount Hor, one of our core values is, is that we are better together, that we do life better together as Christians. Whether we're in a small group or a Sunday school class or a Bible study, we just grow better together. As I look back over my life, God has placed brothers in Christ who have been willing to speak truth into my life. And they did so with grace. And, and, and the truth was challenging to me sometimes. When I became a Christian at the age of 14, it was because my neighbor across the street was speaking truth into me. And that evangelist that preached that night when I gave my life to Jesus was speaking truth. And the truth impacted my soul. And Dave Cheeks was a guy in my uh, uh, youth group. He was four years older than me and he, uh, he kind of took me under his wing and he spoke truth into my life. He did it with grace and did it with love. I didn't have any transportation, so he would come and pick me up and take me to church and take me to youth group, and we began to travel and speak at groups, and, but he was always the one who was the mentor that spoke truth into my life. I remember in, when I was in Conway, I got to meet uh, uh, Dr. Bill Balknight, who was pastor at First Methodist Myrtle Beach, and Bill became a mentor, and Bill Balknight would speak truth into my life. He would, he would begin to shape my, 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 my practice as a pastor because he was a wonderful pastor, but he did it with grace and kindness. You know, when we were doing this uh, facility and we were actually doing the fundraising 
for this facility, a capital campaign. I think we kicked that off somewhere in 2014, 2015. And uh, we had an incredible campaign. Uh, uh, you as God's church stepped up and, you know, the building uh, costs, you know, right at 17 million and you, you, you were able to knock that out, most of that out. We're almost got that knocked out now. But uh, my wife and I have been praying um, and thinking uh, for quite a while about taking a sabbatical, taking some time away from ministry to kind of recharge the batteries and, and uh, spend some time together and something that uh, our book of discipline recommends that pastors do in, you know, every now and then. Well, I had never done one, so it felt like a good time. And so we kind of you know, picked that time frame after the campaign was over and right before we started construction. I got a phone call one day from a brother in Christ uh, a member of this church, and he said to me, hey, um, I need to talk to you about something. Um, several of us have met, and we, we feel like this is a bad time for you to take a sabbatical. And uh, I got to admit, my initial reaction when I got a little angry, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been working really hard at this. I need a little break, and, and my wife shed a few tears, and uh, we had a little conversation, and then we prayed together, and then we realized that this brother was speaking to us in grace, and in truth, and he spoke to us the exact right words we needed to hear. And so we, we agreed to, to delay that, and we uh, spent two years building this facility, and when it was over, we were gone. <laughs> but it was great, it was a perfect time, you know, but, but we would have probably made a mistake, I'm sure we would have made a mistake if we would have gone ahead with our plans. But somebody, and several people loved me enough uh, and love the church enough that they would speak grace and truth into my life. And uh, I'm sure this person that called me drew the short straw, you know. Now, you call him. I'm not calling you. Call him. But anyway, but, uh, but it was great. It was, you know, and I look back on that, and that, 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 was, a, that was one of those milestone events that uh, somebody spoke to me in truth. You know, the, the, the reality is, folks, there are certain marks of the faith that are grounded in truth. Uh, for example, generosity that makes all this possible is a mark of a Christian, that's, that's what the truth says, that God, God's word says. Uh, forgiveness is essential. It's a truth that we must put into practice. Uh, the, the way we handle sexuality matters because it's grounded in truth in the scriptures. So we need to learn to live within the truth of God's word. Now, I wanna take a minute and talk about the difference between truth and tolerance. Because we live in a world today where sometimes those two things get confused truth and tolerance. The dictionary definition of tolerance is a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward opinions, beliefs, and practices that differ from one's own. And I would just say to you this morning that tolerance in general is a good practice for Christians. That, that we know that there are people that do not agree with us on certain things. And so out of, out of speaking the truth in grace and love, we, we need to incorporate at times tolerance but in our world today, there's a shifting, dramatic shift in the understanding of tolerance. And Dr. D.A. Carson explains the difference in his book, uh, The Intolerance of Tolerance, and talks about an old tolerance versus a new tolerance. He says there's in this massive shift from accepting the existence of different views to being forced to accept different views or to endorse different views. Tolerance once meant recognizing other people's right to have different beliefs or practices, but now it means that we must accept different views 
or practices. A new tolerance versus an old tolerance. You know, with old tolerance, we could disagree with each other and there still would be respect. But in the new tolerance, if you don't agree with me, it means you disrespect me or you don't respect me. See, I believe that truth is telling people what God wants them to hear. And tolerance is becoming more and more telling people what they want to hear. And there's a difference in those two things. As I look across many of you here this morning, many of you are parents and or grandparents like we are. And while I can tolerate certain things with my children and my grandkids, I don't build, we didn't build our parenting on tolerance. We built our parenting on truth. And we told our kids the truth. And if they were struggling with something, we told them the truth. And it's been my experience that parents that really struggle are the ones that simply practice tolerance with their kids and not truth. And we have a God who doesn't just tolerate us. We have a God who tells us the truth. And so I wanna say to you this morning, when truth collides with tolerance, and it does in our world today, truth collides with tolerance, that truth should transcend tolerance every single time. That truth should transcend tolerance, truth and grace. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy with these words, for there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. Then in Ephesians chapter four, Paul wrote this letter in, in chapter four, then, we'll, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and what? And growing and what? Full of love. Because we speak the truth in love, we can be a church that is full of love. And what Paul's talking about here is biblical truth. And we gotta speak biblical truth in love so people aren't deceived or people aren't led astray by teaching or preaching that sounds like the truth. So this morning, what does truth in love look like? What does it look like as a church to practice mutual affection? I'm gonna give you several suggestions. The first is truth and love is humble. It comes from a humble place that we defend truth as Jesus would defend truth with kindness and gentleness. We say, let us reason together. Let us, let us talk together about our differences. Truth and love is humble. I read, I read a tweet uh, yesterday that said, sometimes leading means speaking difficult truths as graciously as you can. And, and I'll tell you that in writing this sermon, you know, I'm speaking difficult truths as graciously as I can. And sometimes it stinks doing that. Leading with gracious truth. Because you know what? Truth and love is hard. It's hard. That's why it's so challenging in today's world. Jesus spoke hard truth. 
we, we talk about Jesus and his, certainly his love for people and his incredible, you know, God loved the world that he gave his son, that Jesus expressed love in many ways. But make no mistake that Jesus spoke hard truth. He, he often spoke about judgment, the coming judgment. He, he spoke about heaven and he spoke about hell. And he wanted people to be aware that there was a place of judgment if we didn't heed the truth of his word. I want to read a section of some hard truths from Jesus in, in just a selective passage from Mark chapter 8. And then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then what? Reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. That's a hard truth, is it not? I mean, it's a pretty bold statement to call Peter Satan, but he did so because he loved Peter. And he didn't want Peter falling astray to the teachings of men. He goes on to say, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. That's a hard teaching. The truth is we got to give up our own way, take up a cross and follow Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? See, Jesus is saying a hard truth that our souls are in jeopardy if we aren't grounded in his truth. Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in, this, in these adulterous and sinful days, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father with the holy angels. That's a hard truth, but it's spoken in love and grace. You know, John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement, in his early followers, the bands that he called them or societies that he had, he said there's only one condition required to be a part of this movement. And he said, a desire to flee from the wrath to come and to be saved from your sins. That's a hard teaching because the Bible declares there is wrath and we don't like to talk about the wrath we don't talk, talk, talk about the judgment, but folks, there's an invitation to flee that. For God so loved the world that whosoever believed them would not perish, perish, but have eternal life. Today, if you say something on social media that's not uh, based on the new tolerance, you can get hammered. Dr. Tim Keller, who I think is a, a phenomenal pastor in New York City, a great author, Presbyterian guy. They would believe that's meant to be, but anyway, um, you to, that's a Presbyterian joke. You know, you got to get that. But uh, he, he put out a, he put a, a tweet out and got hammered in social media. It went something like this: People say, "I believe in a God of love, not a God who gets angry." If you have a God who never gets angry, you can't have a God of love, because if you never ever get angry about anything, you don't love anything. If you love and you see the thing you love threaten, you're angry. That's a hard truth. 
about the love of God. It wasn't met well on social media. You see, when we speak the truth in grace and someone gets mad at us, it doesn't mean we're wrong. Can I get a second to that? If we speak the truth in grace and somebody gets mad at us, it doesn't mean we're wrong. I said this to somebody the other day, and I don't know theologically if this is correct, but I told them that Jesus didn't bat a thousand. Now, Jesus was perfect. He was a son of God in every way, but he didn't bat a thousand. What I mean by that is not everybody accepted his message. There were those who heard his message and it was just too difficult. It was too hard. And they turned and left following Jesus. And we know throughout history that people have turned their back on the faith because it was just too hard. It's difficult. So truth is hard, but also truth in love hurts. There are times when we speak truth into somebody's life, it hurts. And that's the reality of truth. I want to share something that, that, uh, that uh, a good friend of mine shared with me the other day. We were talking about this. But did you know that uh, even in this church at Mount Horeb, that somebody in the last couple of weeks got cut with a knife? I'm sure there was a lot of pain involved when they got cut by a knife. But, that, you know, that's not bad enough. Somebody in our church in the last week got poisoned. Now, let me give you the backstory of what happened. The person who got cut with a knife was cut by a heart surgeon because that person's heart was in bad shape. And they needed to face the truth, the reality that unless we make this cut, you may not make it. And the person that was poisoned was poisoned with some chemo because they had a deadly cancer. If they didn't attack the chemo with some poison, they would probably die. See, truth hurts. Those two doctors were not willing to tolerate a bad heart or a deadly tumor. They faced it and they dealt with it. And I believe that, that all of us are sick. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to bring us health. Because I believe that truth and love heals. I believe it does. That no matter how hard it is, no matter how much it hurts, it, it brings healing when we face the reality of our situations and know that we are lost without a Savior. Speaking truth is the most loving thing that we can do for people. Did you know that? Even though it hurts, even though it's hard, it's the most loving thing we can do. Because I believe that truth and love offers hope. It offers hope. You know, last week, uh, Pastor Nick preached about the woman who had been caught in adultery. And the Pharisees had, had gathered together to, to stone her to death. And Jesus confronted them with this word, let him without sin, or this sin, cast the first stone. And they dropped their rocks because they recognized that they were all complicit in the situation that was unfolding. And then Jesus, in grace, said to the lady, where are your accusers? They don't condemn you, neither do I. And then he spoke truth to her. He said, now go and sin no more. Go and change the direction of your life. Grace and truth spoken in love. 
for the cause of love. Another time, Jesus met a woman at a well who had been married five times and was currently not married to the man she was living with. And she was drawing well water at the well in the middle of the day because she was an outcast. And Jesus, in grace, went and talked with her. And he told her her situation. And then he said, let me give you some living water, some water that will not make you thirst again for whatever you're looking for and you're not finding in these relationships. He told her the truth and said that there is a different direction that God has for your life. Receive this truth in grace. I want you to take these two phrases and really make them a part of how you live out your Christian life in mutual affection. Truth without grace is cruel. Truth without grace is cruel. We gotta give our grace, I mean, gotta give our truth with grace. But let me also give you this saying, Grace without truth is cheap. If all we do is show grace and we don't ever speak truth, it cheapens grace. My friends, grace is costly. It costs Jesus his life. Truth without grace is cruel. Grace without truth is cheap. I, I read this quote some time ago by Penn Gillette, who's an atheist. So here I am in a sermon. I'm using a rock band and I'm using an atheist, you know, in my sermon. Um, but Penn Jillette said this. He says, I don't respect people, who's an atheist. He says, he says, as an atheist, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not, getting eternal life or whatever, and you really think that it's not worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting is possible and not tell them that? Isn't that so true? How can you believe that somebody may be lost without hope and not love them enough to tell them the truth, that you're going down the wrong path. You see, if we love the people God has put around us, we must remember that hard truth must be delivered truthfully, in gentleness, in grace, in respect, and sometimes with love saturated tears. Tears, because truth is hard. So this morning, will you practice mutual affection and also practice mutual respect? Mutual affection needs mutual respect. Will you confront and not condemn? You know, I gotta tell you a story. Uh, my mother-in-law is in her 80s. She's still the auditor of Horry County. She still goes to work every day and she loves Jesus and she loves people. And as she gets older, she gets, the more unashamed she is of Jesus. And so she was at a restaurant at, at the Cracker Barrel and her and her coworker <clears throat> and, uh, and, and some bikers came in. It was biker week in Myrtle Beach. And uh, so my mother-in-law, she gets up and goes over to welcome the bikers to Myrtle Beach. I'm so glad you guys are here. This is Myrtle Beach. Y'all have a great time. And, and I just want you to know God loves you. And I'm getting ready to say a prayer in a minute. Is there anything you want me to pray for you about? What <laughs> these bikers, you know, were like... I don't know, I don't know, we got nothing here, you know? And, uh, and I don't know if they were believers or not, but they were shocked by my mother-in-law's uh, bold approach. And they said, no, I don't think so right now. And so she went back over her table and her and her coworker bowed their heads and she said a prayer and she prayed for her new biker friends. Well, when she walked out of the restaurant uh, to pay her bill, the biker people had paid her bill and bought her, bought her, bought her breakfast or lunch, whatever it was. You see, we can confront 
without condemning someone. We can disagree without becoming defensive. We can have a conversation without crucifixion, and we can agree, can we not, to disagree? Can we agree to disagree with respect? You know, in 1992, <clears throat> after a sold-out concert, the band Foreigner was all, you know, was, was charting at the top. And Lou Graham, who was one of the lead singers, life was coming apart because of the whole rock and roll lifestyle of drugs and sex and all that stuff. And he was devastated, he was, he was feeling, he was self-destructing. He was embarrassed about how his children might find him one day. And so he got down on his knees and he asked God to take away the plague about three o'clock that morning. The next day he checked into rehab and became a born again follower of Jesus Christ. 2006, Lou Graham started a Christian rock band. He travels around the country today talking about how Jesus changed his life. You know, don't you imagine that Lou Graham had a lot of people tell him what he wanted to hear? Told him that, hey man, you're cool. You know, they didn't tell him the truth about how he was self-destructing. But when he met the truth, when he met the way, the truth, and the life, who was Jesus, it changed his life. How much you gotta hate somebody not to tell them the truth? You, you know what love looks like? You wanna know? We got these little symbols up here on the stage that from uh, PlayStation or Game Boy, whatever it is. But this is what love looks like. Jesus went to a cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed because he loved us. And today he is full of grace and he's full of truth. He wants you. He didn't come to tolerate your sin. He came to take it away. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to convince you that God has a better way and a better plan. Father God, I thank you that here today you're moving in a mighty way. And I pray, Father God, that you would uh, speak to us in a, in, a, in, a, in a fresh way today as we prepare to end this service, Lord, that we would be moved by your grace and moved by your truth and that we would know what love is. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.